Thanks, Russ. <clears throat> Not quite sure how I meant to preach after a worship time like that. Literally had to go to the back to go get some tissues to blow my nose and sort myself out after just thinking about how amazing our God is. He really is. And my heart just feels broken. I just feel broken again for God and all that he is. And I hope that this series has fed you well. I've heard some brilliant feedback um, from different people about how this series has impacted them as we've looked at how we take care of our hearts. And I get the joy today of speaking in the penultimate one of this series, and we're going to be considering a heart that follows. If you heard Tim last week, you'll have heard him talk about being obedient towards God. And really, today builds on that. It continues on in that theme as we consider following Jesus. But following is kind of a diluted word now in our culture. Um, Especially every time I'm up here, I seem to find myself talking about social media as if I spend all my time on it. But like, if you're on Instagram, the word follower and following is kind of just, it's quite different to what the Bible means. I logged onto my Instagram this week to check out how many followers I have. I've got 172 people following me. 172? Who's following me? I hardly ever post. What are they doing? Joe, the most followed person, the most followed human account on Instagram has 281 million followers. Can anyone guess who that is? Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo. Goodness me, some of you guys clearly follow him. I can't believe that. 281 million followers. He must have quite an interesting life, as well as all of the football stuff he gets up to. And check out this picture of this egg. It's just an egg. It's just an inanimate object. This egg, this very egg right here on screen. Do you know how many followers this egg has? Some people are chuckling as if they know. It's got 5.2 million people following an egg. It's just an egg. I don't really know what that means. But we follow. It's not really following people clicking that they will look at your photos. But really, we're going to delve this morning into what the Bible means when it says that people followed. And I love this scripture. I love that I've got to unpack this. We're going to be delving into one of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 4, if you want to be turning there. But we're going to dip in and out of different Gospels. And that's helpful. If you know anything about the Bible, there's four Gospels. There's four accounts of the life of Jesus. And they're helpful because they're not all exactly the same. And like in a law court, if four people got up and gave exactly the same testimony, the judge would go, hang on, there's something fishy there. You're all saying exactly the same thing. Whereas all of the Gospels have slight, subtle differences and like nuances. And that's because they're all from humans. They saw things from a slightly different angle. One was stood over there. The other one was stood over there. One was a bit more bothered about detail. One was, no, I can't be bothered with detail. And that's helpful. So we're going to dip in and out of the different Gospels. And we're going to see what the Bible says about following. And how Jesus called his followers to follow him. And how we can follow suit. So Matthew 4 verses 18 to 22. And it says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. I like that fact, random. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he then saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in, um, in a boat with their father Zebedee. They were preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. 
This, this really is like an astonishing passage. I've, as I said, I've always loved this because it's like Jesus just tips up, asks these guys to follow him, and off they go. That's it. Life changed forever. They're following him. But actually, all may not be quite as it seems as we dig around these passages. But I want to start by saying this. Our call is to follow So we look back at this passage, and that's the big thing that stands out, isn't it? Jesus says, come, follow me, and these guys follow. There is a call within this passage to follow Jesus. And it seems astonishing, because it seems like these guys have never met him. Simon Peter and the other disciples that Jesus is calling, it seems like they've never interacted with Jesus before. Jesus just tips up, says, follow me, and off they go. They ditch their nets, and off they go. But actually, as we look across the different Gospels, spoiler alert, we see that it's not quite what we necessarily think. I was like, ah, as I found that out. We actually know that the disciples knew Jesus. They knew who he was. There was a guy called John the Baptist, and his job was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was to start telling people about Jesus. These guys had been with John the Baptist. They'd been following John the Baptist. So they knew about Jesus. But more than that, in John 1 verse 40, which occurs before this calling of the disciples, we actually know that they interact with Jesus. They've met Jesus. The disciples, Peter, Simon Peter here, actually says, we've found the Messiah. What a statement. We have found the Messiah And yet they don't follow at that point. What does that tell me? What's the fascinating thing about this, which seems so miraculous? Well, it is still miraculous because they put down everything and they follow Jesus. But what it tells me is it's okay if, if if you will, you're kind of a slow burn to follow Jesus. If you're here in the room or if you're online, and you've been wrestling with, ah, oh, do, I, do I follow Jesus with my life or not? Then that's what we kind of see the disciples doing here. We found the Messiah, but we're not following him yet. And if you've got friends and family who you're praying for, and you're like, come on, why is it that an encounter with Jesus, they've had an encounter, and they're still not turning their life around and following Jesus? Well, actually, we see here, The first response isn't always to follow, but it's still an important encounter, an interaction, and a step towards following Jesus. Following's like this. If I'm going this way, and you're going this way, you're not following. (laughs) If I'm going that way, and you're going this way, you're not following. If you're going that way, you're not following. If you're going this way, things are starting to kind of follow. You might zigzag, and you're going in the kind of general direction of following. But actually, following is following. And therefore, we can find that we can be over here going our own way, and there's Jesus over there, and it's like, do you know what? I might ask a few questions. You might stop. You might turn around. Jesus is heading that way. You might watch the CityGate live stream. You might be here asking, what about this Jesus? There's a few questions, and then you turn around, and you carry on going this way. That's okay. You're wrestling. And then there might be longer moments where you turn around and you actually take a few steps. You might sign up to Alpha, go to Beta, have a conversation with your friend or your family member about what it means to be a Christian. Who is this Jesus guy? Well, there's this kind of starting 
things are starting to shift slowly. As you take a few steps, you're still wrestling, and then you turn back. But then there comes a moment. There comes a moment in the disciples' hearts where Jesus says, follow me, and they have a decision to make. And we're all about hearts in this series. And at that moment, what will our heart do? Will we be open to say, yes, I will follow you. I will give my all to you. This is about giving ourselves to Jesus. I struggle sometimes with the Christian phrase, inviting Jesus into my life, because we're not really inviting Jesus into our life at all. We're getting out of our direction of life, and we're going this way. We're swinging our whole life around and saying, I will commit to you, Jesus. I will commit to following you. That is what my life is going to be for and about. And the disciples make that decision. So please, let me encourage you. If you're kind of praying for people and you're thinking, oh, they're wrestling, they kind of turn around and then they're back and they're this, that and the other, it's okay. We don't see the disciples get up and follow, even though they know he's the Messiah. But there will come a point when our hearts are called to follow and will we respond? So we're called to follow, but we're called to always follow in every season of life. It's okay for you to say, Andy, you're a bit like disciples. There's this kind of calling on you and then you went into a full-time ministry, um, if you will, that good old phrase. But let's have a look, a little whistle-stop tour of the disciples' lives because they're quite interesting and we can glean things from the different gospels about what the disciples got up to. So we know that they were fishermen. We're told that here. Jesus calls them and there's actually then a bit of debate about the different callings. We think that the disciples were called and they actually went back to their jobs. They were called again, they went back to their jobs. And then there's a finite, a kind of final calling. Jesus says um, in Luke 5, it's found in Luke 5, the second half of verse 10, it says this. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats, left everything and they followed him. From this moment on, they're like commissioned. They're sent out with Jesus. They enter this three-year kind of intensive degree, if you will, period with Jesus, where they're doing life and mission with Jesus. They leave everything. They start following him. They start um, seeing the power of Jesus healing the sick. Jesus then sends them out, says, go cast demons out. Go to this village. Go to that village. Do this stuff. So they've been fishermen. They then go backwards and forwards between their jobs and doing this other thing. Then Jesus says, now you're fishers of men, follow me. And he makes them fishers of men. Then what happens? Jesus is crucified on a cross. He dies, he's buried. He's raised back to life. But before he goes back to heaven, there's this fascinating moment that we see in John 21, verse 11. It says this, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. I joked about this as I was preparing. It was full of large fish, 153. And my joke was, oh, who, who counted that? But it's fascinating, because what that tells me is they're not fishing for fun. They then have a barbecue with Jesus. That's, that's that event happening. They pull in the nets, and they then sit and have a barbecue with Jesus. Why is 153 fish important? Because they're fishing for business. Who catches 153 fish for a barbecue? <laughs> no one. They're fishing for business. They've gone back to work, but they're still called to be fishers of men. Then what happens? Jesus ascends back to heaven, and in all honesty, we actually know 
very little about the lives of the disciples. There's some stuff recorded in history, but not a vast amount. Certainly not about all 12 of them. We don't know whether some of them kept on fishing and were fishers of men while fishing. Some may have continued to go town to town, preaching the gospel, establishing churches. We don't know what they were doing, but we know that they were called to follow Jesus in every walk and season of life. So what does that mean? What does that look like? There's some more famous follow me's. A rich young guy comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? He's essentially saying, what do I need to do in order to follow you? Jesus says, okay, have you obeyed all the Ten Commandments? Somehow this guy has the audacity to say, yeah, I've obeyed all of the Ten Commandments. I'm pretty awesome, me. So then Jesus' response is, okay, rich young ruler, you need to sell everything and follow me. This guy leaves pretty upset. He's disgruntled. And I get the feeling from the passage, he probably didn't do it. He probably didn't follow Jesus. There's a cost involved. On another occasion, Jesus is talking about the relationships we have, specifically about family and that culture, which was a high priority. And he says, he, he, he says don't put your family above me. I am to be your first and highest priority. And then he uses the phrase, take up your cross and follow me. So serious was what he was saying, that Jesus should be the first thing that we follow. He should be on the throne in our lives. So what are the crosses we need to take up in order to follow Jesus? What is it we need to do to follow this call in every means of our life? It's taking these principles and applying them across everything we do. Not getting hung up on specific callings, but our call, our big call, is to always follow Jesus and to take this and apply this into every scenario. So when you're claiming your taxes back at the end of the financial year for those who are self-employed, and you're thinking about putting things under the business that you know were actually used for the family... How will you follow Jesus? Will you rob the system? Will you fiddle the taxes? Or will you take the biblical principle of give to the taxman what is the taxman's and give to God what is God's? Give him honor and integrity behind closed doors as you fill those forms in because that's what God wants us to do, to follow him. Or when we're deciding how we will use our time each day, how is it we follow Jesus? Do we follow the world? Jesus is going that way. I'm going this way because I like sitting on YouTube on my phone and entertaining myself with every spare minute I've got. Or do we say, actually, no, I will make a decision to follow Jesus. I have a loving father here. I have a loving father here who wants to spend time with me, in relationship with me. How will I follow? Or when you're getting that taxi back with your mates from town, and you know that your mates are skint, and the conversation kind of strikes up as to how you're going to split the bill. Will you kind of stay quiet and allow, allow someone else to foot the bill or think about splitting it? Or will you think, do you know what? God has given me a heart of generosity because I know I have a father who will clothe all of the flowers of the field. How much more will he take care of me? And how can I show his generosity to the people around me? How's our heart for following all the time? What is it we can take from this 
so that the call on our lives carries through everything we do. So we're called to follow and we're called to follow in every walk and season of life. But it's not just that. We're called to follow where he leads and there are specific times when Jesus kind of changes direction a bit and calls us to follow him. Andy, I'm calling you to go and do this. I'm calling you to go and do that. Back to the verse. As I said, the scholars think in this particular passage and another one that the disciples were called and they actually came back because of the different accounts. They came back to their jobs. So as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw these two brothers. They were casting nets into the lake. Come follow me, he said, and I will make you fishes of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. How inconvenient is that? They're in the middle of fishing. You, ever be, you know when you're like in the flow of work? Lockdown is a great example for this because you're sat there, maybe at home, doing your work or whatever, and then somebody taps you on the shoulder, can I just have a few minutes of your time? And you're like, ah, I was just getting to the, that kind of sweet spot where I needed to be to be the most productive. These guys are like, they need to put the nets away nicely. They'll need to fold them, mend them, clean them, because otherwise next time they get them out, it takes four times as long. It's so inconvenient. But actually, their hearts are open to following Jesus. And we know that he calls them here and then they go back. So he's calling them for something specific. I don't know why at this particular point he calls them. Maybe he's going to the next village to see somebody healed and he wants those disciples to see him heal someone. So let me ask, how's your heart? Is it open to being called to a specific thing at a, cons- at a specific time? Something for him, which might be a risk. It might be costly and it will almost certainly be inconvenient. Let me share with you part of my story. My wife and I um, celebrate adoption in our house. We adopted our children. And um, I want to share part of our side of the story. Our children's story is theirs, and they will share that with you if they feel comfortable. But from our point of view, adoption had kind of been floated around a little bit. We'd done marriage prep. I think most people in marriage prep kind of get asked about how you intend to have a family. Would you consider adopting? Yes. Um, And then after that, we had some friends who adopted. My wife was working in uh, children's social care. It was kind of around us a little bit. But it, it, it was not a big thing that was featuring on our radar. And then we were at a Christian festival. And my wife goes off to a fostering and adoption seminar Um, partly because she's a professional, partly because she's going with a friend. And she sat there, and God just drops this thing into her heart of adoption's going to be your plan A. It's going to be your first choice. Then what happens is, a few minutes later, there's a guy who's been speaking. He's leading a ministry time, and he says, I just believe God is going to be dropping in some hearts in here that adoption is your plan A. It's your first choice. You can imagine how her heart's going at this point. So she like runs back to me, Finds me, Andy, 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 God's spoken to me. We're going we're gonna to adopt. That's going to be our first choice. That's how we're going to grow our family. And then there's a heart moment for me. <laughs> there's a heart moment of, what do I do with that? Because my instant reaction is, well, God, if it's for both of us, this is a joint mission, a joint venture. You haven't told me. <laughs> you never told me. Thanks for leaving me out the picture. But I decided to take a heart position of, okay, God, if this is of you, then break my heart for this. Speak to me. Speak to me about doing this. And for the next year of my life, I just couldn't escape it. Every time I'd open the Bible, it seemed to lead back to the adoptive heart of God. 
There was adoption stuff all over the TV. We had various friends going through it. I can't recount the amount of ways it was just in front of my face in a way that doesn't happen now. And that's our story. Years later, we then adopted. And it's been the most incredible thing. Why do I share this with you? I share this with you because we can get, when we get these specific calls, we need to kind of weigh them as well, though. And I want to talk a little bit about the process of how we did that. The first thing you can do when you, have, you feel you have a specific call is to think, is this biblical and is this the heart of God? Let's put our scenario in. Yes, both those things were. Both those, the, the father heart of God where he adopts us into his family, absolutely. The next thing, do you have faith for it? Yes, we absolutely had a growing faith for it. Did we have peace about it? Yes, we felt incredibly peaceful. We knew it would be challenging. We knew it would come with its highs and lows, but we had peace about it. And then we sought other people's wisdom on it. Wisdom and faith seemed to go hand in hand there. As people would ask questions that would prod and probe, then we would, um, we would be able to answer it and we'd find that our faith would rise. Because if we'd have misheard, let's just go there for a moment, then what would the fallout have been? Well, we would have been stepping into something which is what I've said, the general call of God, the general call to look after orphans and widows. It wasn't something sinful that we would have fallen into by doing that. It wouldn't have been disobedient. It's not a Jonah moment where we would have been running away from God and he would have had to pull us back and set us right. Instead, we followed God into something specific but that fit with the general call of God on each of our lives. So those principles can be helpful. But as I say, let's keep open hearts as we think about the fact God may call us at specific times to do specific things that will be costly for him. And as I ask the band to come back up, I want to end with another few follow me's because they're quite fascinating In John 12, verse 19, we find probably the most challenging follow me I've seen, which is where Jesus prophesies to Simon Peter, the dude that we read about earlier who's fishing in the boat, keeps cropping up in the Gospels, is called at various times to do various things. Jesus prophesies over him about what Peter will do. But then he continues and he says this to Peter. He essentially says to Peter, This is going to lead you to your death. Follow me. Imagine that. This is going to lead you to your death. Follow me. Do you know what I love about following Jesus? Is that we're following. The nature of following means that whenever we follow Jesus when he calls us, we're following a saviour who has in front of us. He's making a way. He's made a way. He has experienced everything. If he calls us to go into times of hardship, he has been through hardship. We are following him everywhere he has been. If he calls us into difficulty, he has experienced difficulty. If he calls us into trial, he has experienced trial. Thank God for a saviour who leads us nowhere he hasn't been. Jesus is glorious and we get the joy of following him. And in fact, as we follow Jesus, we follow him 
to a point of following him ultimately. Because one day, if you believe in Jesus, you will find yourself face down. You will be face down in worship to an awesome God. When someone will take your hand and you'll look up and you'll be looking into the face of Jesus and the words will come out of his mouth, follow me. And you go, huh? And he'll say, follow me. And as you look around over the multitudes, too vast for your eyes to take in, Jesus will lead you and you will step over all these people worshipping God. And he will lead you into a room and and you will suddenly realise this is some sort of robing, crowning room because there's robes and crowns everywhere and he will lead you to a table. Follow me, follow me. He will lead you to this table and you'll bow your head thinking that is the most splendour-filled crown. Jesus is going to put it on, so out of respect, you bow your head. But then you feel the pressure on your head as the crown is put on your head and a robe is placed over your shoulders and Jesus lifts your gaze back to his and says, follow me. And you'll follow him through a doorway above which is written throne room. And you will find yourself before the throne of God, the lion and the lamb. And you will bend your knee before him and bow. And Jesus will take his place at the right hand of the Father. And the Father's voice will say, stand up and look at me. And you will look at him. And instead of being met with what our sins deserve, the wrath of God poured out over us. Why did you do that? Those sins, they're so hideous. Why, why, why? You'll be met with the look of a father as he looks at a son, as you realize you are robed in the righteousness of Christ. And then God the Father will say, follow me. Let's adventure for eternity. And that will be our state. We will follow God for eternity. We will adventure with him because we have followed Christ for our lives. So my question this morning is, will you follow? Is your heart in a position to follow Jesus wherever he would call you, every minute of every day, and into the specifics that he would lay out on some people's lives at specific times? Is it worth following Jesus? Absolutely, because one day we will follow him and adventure together for eternity.